Welcome to the St. Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall. And I'm Liz Crow. We talk a lot on our podcast about how we can look after patients better. But today, we're just going to turn that around a bit and actually think about how we can look after ourselves. Now, this might seem a funny topic for a medical podcast, but the truth is, unless we're in a good place ourselves, then we can never be in a good place for our patients. Now, Liz is an expert in many things, but one of those is well-being. So we're going to spend a few moments just talking about our own well-being and how we can actually make a plan to look after ourselves better. It really concerns me at the moment. There's a lot of information in the literature saying doctors and nurses are at extreme risk of burnout, of compassion fatigue. Lots of people are talking about how to build resilience, and yet no one's providing any sort of intervention or clues on how to get there. So today we're really going to focus on our own well-being, and we're going to talk about things that you already know about, but you're just not following through with. Now, a lot of this might seem a little bit kooky and a little bit left field for us to talk about, as I say, on a medical podcast. It's a chance to think about these things, and hopefully at St Emlyn's we try and challenge everything that we do, not just medically, but who we are and how we behave. So Liz, I know all too well that my well-being could do with an uplift, so how about we spend a few minutes going through a well-being plan that might just help me be a better doctor? Okay, so I have had the good fortune to be in Southampton with Ian over the last few days and observe him in his own home life, and I would have to say that It would be my observation that Ian, like many medical and nursing people that I work with, uses caffeine and sugar to get him through the day and then a quiet drink at night to help him relax. And when we look at only using external things, particularly through food and liquids, it makes it very difficult to look after your own well-being. Now, I know that people know what they should do in relation to their diet and in relation to fluids. However, I think we're our own worst enemies at doing this for ourselves. Now, I'm a big fan of coffee. I like a coffee. There's a lot about coffee that's good. It's not just the taste and the little bit of a kick you get from the caffeine, but there's a social aspect to coffee. And often at work, we might take 10 minutes to have a coffee with colleagues. So how can we still maintain that social connection if we're going to be a bit more sensible about just how much caffeine we're drinking? Because I know I've had at least one episode of palpitations on a weekend shift where I pretty much mainline diet coke and coffee to try and get myself through what was quite a long day. I was with a patient. I was at the end of the bed and I started feeling lightheaded and palpitations. I don't have any cardiac disease as far as I know, but that was a real wake up call for me. But there is this social aspect to all of those things you mentioned, alcohol, coffee, chocolate, sharing a chocolate bar with someone. That's a bit of friendship and fellowship. How do we not miss out on that side of things if we go all, well, let's say healthy? Well, first of all, I can't pretend that I'm a health guru. Don't get an ass like this from Salad Ian Beardsall. However, I don't think that what we're suggesting is that we have to cut out every single vice or every single thing that makes us feel good or socialize. But there are a number of things we can do, like you might just limit the amount of coffee and learn to get energy maybe by moving your body before a long shift, doing some exercise, or just being conscious how much you're actually moving throughout the day. There's nothing wrong with coffee. The whole thing is, though, it can't be the sole source of what keeps you going, keeps you socializing. It's not the nectar of the gods that people think it is. And I do know that I rely on coffee, especially at times of tiredness to get myself through. And if it's not there, I can feel a bit wobbly. I've had Diet Coke shakes where I've just been desperate to find a news agent. And that doesn't, I'm not a good guy with drugs. I don't like all that stuff. And I feel, to feel dependent, it probably affects my well-being as well. So, okay, I'm going to cut out coffee. I might go to a bit of decaf, less Diet Coke, 
Okay, I'm going to stop you there. I think you're setting yourself up for failure, and I think this is what people do all the time. They decide to turn over a new leaf and then want to change every component of their life, and then when it doesn't work the next day, go back to the old habits. So rather than cut out coffee and cut out Diet Coke immediately, I would say that what you need to do is reduce your level of caffeine full stop. So you might just say, right, I'm only going to have three cups of coffee and one Diet Coke a day. And then if that's going well and you want to reduce it, then you can. I've actually never tasted coffee, which lots of people can't believe. It is a bit antisocial not to drink coffee, but I drink hot water with lemon in it and I seem to still be able to socialize fine. You have struck on something that is rife amongst medical professionals of whatever style, whether medical or nursing. A lot of people who listen to this podcast, we are by nature high achievers. We want to do things well. And perhaps you're right. I have tried in the past to go from slightly naughty when it's concerned with my diet to being an angel. And maybe I need to be better about that. And maybe that's a lesson for us generally. We need to just do little bits, not try and be great all the time. Because if you try and be great, you're just going to be disappointed. You often are people of extremes in critical care. You're type A personalities and you don't have to go from one extreme to the other. With well-being, you need to think of it as, as a life change rather than I'm on a diet. This is something that you should be aiming to do every day. Your well-being commitment should be every day, not just when you're tired, not just when you're stressed, not just when you're working. So if you gradually reduce things and you feel better, and I I think in the short term, you probably don't, there, there is some weaning and some readjustment as you cut down on things like caffeine. But if you like how you feel and you get motivated to do other things, you might be surprised. So we're going to have a look at diet and I will look at reducing the amount of caffeine I have. Diet Coke, I don't like being dependent on multinationals. And so that's another motivation. So I'm going to reduce that down. I think drinking more water seems to be something when you've been staying with me, Liz, you've just been shoving water in front of me at every opportunity, reminding me I need to drink plenty of water. And I have been the guy tutting on the shop floor at those colleagues who have a bottle of water with them. But maybe that's something that I should think about too. Just remaining hydrated, these simple things, because actually the whole point of this is to get the energy from within myself and not to get energy from external stuff. So diet, we've got the simple stuff, the obvious stuff. We're busy people. That's a theme we have all the time. Oh, I'm not I'm too busy to eat properly. I'm too busy to cook food. How do you make the time and what do you do to try and make sure you're a really busy person? PhD, children, full time job. How do you make the time for those extra bits, exercise, eating well? The irony is I don't have time to be unwell and I don't have time not to look after myself because I am busy. I have to make sure that I'm well all the time. About 12 months ago, I decided to go on a sandwich diet because I was constantly eating rubbish at work or I was constantly heating up my lunch, not being able to eat it, throwing it out and then having a chocolate at three o'clock because I was starving and I was running out of energy. And so I've turned that all around. So I try to have some protein in the morning for breakfast because it sustains you. I have an apple in my bag and I make a sandwich every day and I don't just make a honey sandwich. I make a sandwich full of salad and a protein and then if I can only have a a bite of it and then I rewrap it, it means that all day I've got something to return to and I've eaten well and I know exactly what it is that I'm eating and it'll also save people money. Not everyone can eat bread. Lots of people are gluten intolerant, but to take eight minutes the night before you go to work to make yourself a healthy lunch and then at least know you're going to be able to eat when you actually have an opportunity because that's a big part of it in critical care. Often we don't get a time to just stop and eat properly, but if you have something in your bag, even like a handful of cashews or almonds, 
It means that you've got something decent to eat when you've got an opportunity to actually put something in your mouth. I did smile to myself when Liz was talking about this sandwich diet. It sounded a bit uh, a bit kooky, but then it made a bit of sense. There are times when you heat up your meal and then all of a sudden you can't eat it. And so you go without and then you hit the biscuit tin. And we have a very well-stocked biscuit tin in Southampton that I know I dive into and I will use chocolate digestives as a means of sustenance. I think I may well look at doing something fresh, something taking some fruit with me to work, meaning that I can just have something more healthy than the usual stuff I tend to have and then try and eat a decent meal in the evening. It is quite, I find cooking relaxing. So I guess that can be another part of your well-being plan. Yeah, that's exactly right. And not everyone enjoys cooking. Lots of people don't get organized, but it actually is, well-being is about being really organized. So on a Sunday night, I write our meal plan for the week. I make sure we've got enough food to make healthy sandwiches for the week. And every night after dinner, I make everybody's lunch and we try to eat a really well-balanced diet. You literally are what you eat. I've seen it with you over the last few days. As soon as you start to run out of energy or get grumpy, you rely on sugar and caffeine to improve your well-being. And it's non-sustaining. But chocolate is really nice. It is really nice. So why don't you say that you can have two pieces of chocolate a day? Or if you're going to start exercising, I'll let you have a whole bar. Okay, so I'm allowed four pieces of chocolate a day. I think that's what Liz just said. (laughs) And we'll gradually reduce down. Now, exercise is this other thing. The constant mantra in critical care is I'm too busy. Now, we've thought about this at Southampton. We're trying to work out whether or not we could even put an exercise bike in our staff room or let staff have half an hour to go and walk around the building. And I think that is something that we'd really like to try and achieve to make breaks really useful and worthwhile but in our own lives I've tried and I've tried to get to these exercise programs just going out for a run but again how do you find the time? So I get up very early in the morning I usually am up by 4 30 quarter to five that's not going to work for anyone but I know that if I don't exercise first thing in the morning it's unlikely after a really long day that I'm going to be able to come home and do some exercise. So you've got to get in the own rhythm and pattern of your life. In saying that, lots of people just say I'm not an early morning person without ever really giving it a go. If you've got children, you put them in a pram or you put kids on bikes and you run beside them. I can no longer run because I've got a terrible gammy knee, but I still try to walk 10 kilometers a day. And it's really worth while investing in a pedometer. Most people have something on their phone that can track their amount of movement during the day. Because sometimes we can feel like we've been really busy and we've only walked about three kilometers, whereas recommended is 10,000 steps or seven kilometers a day. Not everyone can get to the gym. Not everyone's got additional money. But even if you've got a toddler, you can bench press them on the floor. You can do sit-ups with your kids. You're not only looking after yourself, you're modeling for your children and for your patients about how important it is to actually look after yourself. I have to say, Liz, this sounds like a whole lot of fun. So no caffeine, no chocolate, (laughs) just drinking water, getting up at 4.30 and then exercising. This is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Okay, so again, you're being an extremist. Ian has promised me that we're using him as a test model. I have never suggested you give up caffeine, nor chocolate, nor alcohol, nor have I said you've got to get up at 4.30 in the morning. You have to find something that is actually going to work for you. And again, you don't have to get to the gym. This morning, I have been out and exercised in the miserable wet weather of Southampton. I've come and I've done 50 push-ups, I've done 50 sit-ups. You can do really simple things that cost absolutely no money, but are really good for your body. And more than that, when you exercise, your ability to cope 
with what's going on around you is really going to increase. So we've talked a bit about diet. We've talked a bit about exercise, all simple stuff, probably that everyone's listening, thinking, well, of course, that's obvious. But maybe this is a call to just get out there and do it. But perhaps one of the most important things for us is our psychological well-being. I'm guessing that if you can become less dependent on these external factors, you feel a bit fitter, you sleep better, that will all help your psychological well-being. But are there other things we can do just to make us more resilient and be able to cope psychologically with the challenges that are thrown at us? That's a really good question. I think the thing is, is that lots of people try and block what's bothering them at work or at home by pushing it away, by trying to drown their sorrows in alcohol, by avoidant. And what the literature is very clear about is that the more you try and block something and push it away, probably the harder it's going to become. It takes more energy to block than to actually address and learn about it. So I talk about everyone needs to have almost a painful self-awareness about what is it that really stresses you at work. And it's very rarely client dependent. It's actually much more likely to be organizational or conflict with colleagues. If you come home and eat a block of chocolate, you may feel momentarily better but it hasn't resolved the conflict for you at work. So you need to have a great friend. Do something where you find stillness every day in your life. So whether that's while you're walking, for me, I like music. I do crazy dancing by myself. I've had a little dance on the roads today at Southampton. You've really got to find some space to work out what what is it that's bothering me and what realistically can I do about it? And if you can't resolve that on your own or with your partner and your friend or your family, it's worthwhile going to see someone. Nearly every organization that I know, regardless where you work, will have employment assistance programs, which will offer you free counseling for several sessions a year. Tap into that resource, work out what works for you. Scott Weingard spoke about meditation during SMAC, and I think meditation has a real place. But meditation and mindfulness does not work for me because I have a very busy brain and I've done a number of courses and it just doesn't work. However, I can swim and follow a black line and be quiet for an hour and end. And I'm also very good at just shutting out the world when I just have nice music playing in my ears and I'm having a bit of a dance while I walk along. So you have to find the thing that works for you. Find your thing. So I've had a little go at mindfulness. There's a free app on my phone. And again, I just thought I haven't got time for this. But it was 10 minutes a day. And Now, I'm a Yorkshireman. For those of you who are not from the UK, being a Yorkshireman is a source of huge pride to everybody from Yorkshire and probable huge frustration to everybody who isn't. But we are known as stoical beings who like cricket and beer and generally don't talk about our feelings. Now, I always thought the idea of having a coach or a therapist was completely crazy. I'd watch these programs on telly and think this is ridiculous. And the truth is, and I'll admit it to you here with a degree of, I suppose, openness, I've had a coach or therapist for the last few years. And I have to say, I find it hugely useful to be able to go and talk to somebody every couple of weeks for about 45 minutes. They listen, they offer a little bit of advice, but it has meant that it's offloaded the pressure on my other friendships, whereby I used to go and offload to them. There's still a place for friends, I think, but I have to admit, as a Yorkshireman, I have to say, I found therapy quite useful. I wouldn't stop doing it. I don't feel like I'm crazy or nuts, although looking at my diet and stuff, I, I obviously I'm struggling. <laughs> but I think it is a useful thing to do. Give it a go. It is expensive. So if you can get onto a hospital employment program type thing, then make the most of that. But it's money well spent, I think. And considering the amount of money I'm going to save on coffee, then I think I should be able to afford coaching for a bit a while longer. 
And look, you know, you talk about the expense, but some women would spend that on their hair. What is our priority? Some men would spend that on their hair, sister. You don't get a cut <laughs> like this for free. But, you know, I think it's just really important. I think the other thing is, is that Ian and I, I think, are good friends. And I think, you know, just having those friends, having people who understand your work, not bur- having to burden your family with things that are stressing you at work, when others don't understand the environment. And also, as you know, I'm a big fan of humour and being able to just laugh at yourself and not take life so seriously and not ruminating. And I think that's one of the really important things about mindfulness or any sort of exercise or any way that alleviates rumination in your own brain is just giving your poor little brain a bit of a break to stop worrying about what might happen, what could happen, focusing on the negative, but appreciating everything that you do have. So we've gone through very quickly an idea about a well-being plan, and I think one that I'm going to follow. No doubt Liz will make us check back in a few months to see how I'm getting on with my caffeine and my exercise and my general well-being. This isn't supposed to be preachy. This isn't supposed to be us saying, hey, you can be better people. But it is an, a chance for us to be aware that we make plans about everything. We make plans for our careers. We make plans at work. We make plans for holidays. Do we ever sit and just make a plan for ourselves about how we are going to develop, how we're going to look after ourselves? I'm at that age now where I'm staring at middle age and thinking I need to be fitter. I run around with my kids and I get out of breath. And that's a wake up call for me because to be a good doctor and to be a good dad and to be a good person generally, I need to look at my well-being. We've covered three main topics, I think. That's the sort of diet side of things, the physical side of things, and then emotional side of things. And I think we can address each of those. But as you said, Liz, it's important to do these things step by step and not go crazy. That's right. And we haven't talked about sleep. Sleep is really important. Sleep is very difficult for people who work in critical care and for people who do shift work. So again, you've got to be just that little bit more mindful about how do you sleep? How much sleep do you need? How do you put yourself to sleep? How do you wake yourself up? And creating a routine knowing that you're going to have to do shift work. It's really important to have plans around all of these things. It doesn't happen naturally. You don't get to a certain age and you're more mature. They put up some photos of me at Smack Gold two years ago. I was a lot fatter than I am now because I was doing too much PhD, too much mothering, not enough exercise. So it does have waxes and wanes. We can't do everything However, I am 100% committed now to my own well-being. It's like on the aeroplane, oxygen mask on for me first, so then I can look after my children, I can look after the families that I work with, I can look after my teammates, and I can keep going. That's a really important analogy, isn't it? The idea that on the plane, you do have to look after yourself, because if you don't look after yourself, you're no good to anyone else. And perhaps that's the thought we should leave you with. Good luck with your well-being plans. We'd love to hear about them at St. Emlyn's. No doubt Liz will help me with my well-being plan. I'm going to write it down now. We may even write a blog post about it. And I'm the sort of guy that if I have motivation from others outside, I'm going to do better. And we can all support each other to just find ways to make the job that we do better for ourselves. But also in the long run, the aim of all of this is to be better for our patients.